Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. I'm glad that you're here today and that we can worship together, that even though it may be cold outside, um, God is here with us and helping us. I wonder how many of you uh, are are folks that are supposed to be in first service, uh, and you just got slowed down this morning, that's probably some of you. I'm assuming everybody who's not here probably drove Chevy, Dodge, and Toyota, and they couldn't get going this morning. That's about all I can think. Why wouldn't you want to come to church? Um, a little cold. A little cold has never stopped uh, a true Michigander. And um, so, just here's here's something that you might be interested in knowing that we have uh, we, we do. Uh, and you just heard Pastor, Pastor Caleb told you there are some times where. It's just prudent and wise to uh, cancel being together. Sunday weekends, uh, Sunday mornings, um, by the way, you know, all you folks gave money toward the generator project, so even if the the power's out, we have no excuses, right? So that took away that get-out-of-jail-free card, so that doesn't going to work, and so a little cold weather isn't going to. Our policy is this, that unless someone in the government has said, don't drive on the roads. Uh, we are not going to break the law. You know, if it's, uh, they tell us to stay home for prudent reasons, then we will do that in terms of weather. Okay. So um, now, if they told us, you know, don't don't bow down, you know, or you have to bow down to Caesar, or you have to do something else, we'd say kindly no. But when it's weather and it's safety involved and those kind of things. So other other than that, we're on, folks. And uh, so I'm glad I'm glad that you're here. To worship. And I just, without, with the fear of singling somebody out, <laughs> um, but I do think there's examples that lead us. Um, it caught me, particularly in the first service, and again, during the prayer time, um, Ryan Motel, when he's done playing the drums and we pray. I don't know if you've noticed this, but he always stands up. And I ask, I've asked him before, why do you do that? And there's two reasons why I know. Um, one of them, he said, look, at the end, you know, I've, I've, I've been sitting there and I've been drumming, uh, using those gifts and abilities to worship the Lord and to be a part of worship, but there's just a sense of reverence and out of respect. So here's a guy who's in manufacturing during the week, rough and tumble world, who has the sensitivity to say, listen, when we're going to pray um, at that point, um, I'm going to stand. And I think that's something that's significant. And, and I appreciate that. Can I tell you another reason? He didn't mention when I asked him, but another reason that I, I that is um, a unique observation for me is because his dad, when his dad uh, used to play drums for us in church, he did the same thing. Now to any of you who are modeling your faith and wanting to witness that to your family. I want to say to you that kids watch what their parents do. And when they stand, you know, after a song to pray, <laughs> then 
the next generation does that too. And when mom and dad, when, when you worship and when you give praise to God and, and they know you're a person of the word and you're genuine, your kids see that too. And they're watching. And um, that struck me this morning. And let me just use that as, as an encouragement to you uh, to keep on doing the things that you know um, God is leading you to do. Take your Bibles, open them up, turn them on. Join me in locating in the New Testament the book of James chapter 3. It's our text for this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you under the seat um, in front of you. I encourage you to have a Bible this morning in front of you that as we read along, you can see and you want to make sure that what I'm reading, what I'm telling you is true. And I want you to read it for yourself. Let me, while you're finding James 3, I, I, will, I will tell you this. I'm going to be talking next week about make room. It, it's the plan to move forward to increase our opportunity to influence our community for kingdom purposes. And so that, that project that we're a part of, uh, we call make room. I'm going to talk to you about that. And I'm going to say more today, but next week I'm going to be sharing the vision for those next steps in our journey together. Today we're talking about wisdom. You say, well, didn't we just hear a message on wisdom just a few short weeks ago? Uh, it was, you know, it, and it wasn't that long ago. What, what's the deal? And, and hasn't the book of James already addressed this issue? Well, the answer is yes and yes. But here it is again in the text, and so we're going to address it again. And here's the thing about when, when Scripture repeats something. By the way, this whole topic of wisdom is something that you can find in the Old Testament, the New Testament, you can find it strung through. There's this thread of, of seeking wisdom. It's maybe not as pronounced as the thread of redemption from the beginning of Scripture to the end. You'll see that thread of redemption that is woven to, into all of Scripture, and you see it. It's just there. And so we're talking this morning about wisdom, and it's, it, here's the thing. When, when you see that, and, and you see it repeat it again. When, when, if, if God's Word says it once, that's enough. We ought to pay attention to it. If it says it more than once, then something should click off in our, in our, in our brains and say, listen, this was said and it's been repeated, and, and we need to pay special attention to these things that uh, Scripture is repeating. And James is, is talking about wisdom once again. We talked in a previous message about wisdom, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, wisdom is the ability to make good judgments based on what you've learned from your experience, or the knowledge and understanding that give you that ability. I found this definition in a Bible dictionary. It, talks, it says this, that knowledge, wisdom are closely tied together Knowledge tends to focus on correct understanding of the world and oneself as creatures of the magnificent and loving God, while wisdom is the acquired skill of applying that knowledge rightly, or skill in the art of godly living. So we need knowledge and we need wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, one of those places we go we find much written on wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7, I love this verse. It speaks of both biblical knowledge and wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
So to fear the Lord is to start on the path of knowledge, and, and God um, begins to provide us with wisdom through Christ, um, who, who the Bible says is wisdom in, himself. So watch this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So we gain wisdom <clears throat> through study of the scriptures, and wisdom in turn acts properly upon that knowledge. Wisdom is the fitting application of knowledge. So, for example, knowledge understands that the light has turned red. Wisdom applies the brakes. <laughs> or knowledge sees the quicksand. Wisdom avoids it, walks around it. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. Wisdom obeys them. Whereas knowledge learns of God, wisdom loves God. So to have wisdom, to have knowledge of Him and what He expects of us, in fact, in order to obey Him, we have to have knowledge of the commands, but equally as important as having knowledge, there is, there, we need wisdom. Knowing the facts about God in the Bible is not all there is to wisdom. Wisdom is, is a gift from God. Uh, I, I love this uh, from the book of Job. I read this past week. I shared it with a couple of guys that I meet with for accountability. There's an interesting passage, Job 11, it, it, verse 5 and following, and it simply says this, if only God would speak, if only he would tell you what he thinks. Aren't there times where you say, listen, I need to know what God wants on this issue. I need to know what he's thinking about this. If only God would speak, if only he would tell you what he thinks, if only he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom is not a simple matter. Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? It is deeper than the underworlds. What do they know? It is broader than the earth. It's wider than the sea. And I love... I love when Scripture just says things, and here in Job and here in James, it just says things that if we'd read it, think we get it, and then if we would just accept it and live it, we'd be a lot better off. I love this verse. It says, an empty-headed person won't become wise any more than a wild donkey can bear a human child. And if you read that in the King James, I would say words that I can't say in church right? An empty-headed person won't become wise any more than a wild donkey can bear a human child. If only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer <laughs> and seek him who is the wisdom. We learned that in James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You see, here's the issue that many of you will face in your life. It's not, you, it, once you've settled the decision between right and wrong, or something that is good and something that is evil, you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you've put off the old, you've, you've put on the new. You, once you've made that decision, you still the need the wisdom of God to make decisions, because for most of you, you're not gonna be making decisions based on what is right and wrong. You're gonna be making decisions between what is right and what else is right. Those are the tough questions in life. 
Both of these things could be right, but what is it that God really wants me to do? There are times there may be two things that don't fall into the evil camp, and you say, listen, this is an opportunity and this is opportunity, but I need God's wisdom to help me know what I should do. And so, if we lack wisdom, God gives us wisdom. Wisdom, it's practical insight into the ways of God. James picks up this topic in in chapter 3, verse 13. Now, I want you to see, if we go back to the first part of chapter 3, James, the author, addresses those who were teachers or wanted to be teachers among Christians. And so, he said, he said this, not many of you should become teachers. Well, what he's talking officially is those who were, were, were teaching, instructing in the ways of God and, 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 and all that. But let me just simply narrow that down a little bit and simply say this. Just like we talked about modeling from one generation to the other earlier, we, we, you, it is impossible for you not, when you leave this place and you go out and become the church in the world, there are people that are watching your life. You're influencing people. You are teaching people. If you're a parent, you're teaching. If, if, if you are, um, you know, modeling to, to uh, your, your community, you are teaching people. So in whatever case we, we are in, you know, if official teaching role recognized as such or even the unofficial uh, role of, of others following you, we need wisdom. And James was talking to those, he said, listen, here's, you need to be careful how you talk. He told his teachers, here's how you should talk, and he addressed the issue of the tongue. Now he's speaking to that same group of people, and so that you didn't eliminate yourself, so listen, I'm not an official teacher. Yes, you are in significant ways. You are the teacher. You're the one that people are following. So you have to be careful how you talk. And in this situation, he's, in these verses, he's talking about how they should live. Now, <laughs> um, what he's saying is, beware of the fact that you are leading, you are teaching, and so he says, listen up and wise up, and he has something here for us that we need to understand. And, and first of all, he identifies two kinds of wisdom. He said there's earthly wisdom, and then there's heavenly wisdom, two kinds of wisdom. He said, who is wise in understanding among you. See in verse 13? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So, two kinds of wisdom. An earthly wisdom, there's heavenly wisdom, and he's saying that there's, there's ways that you go about showing this wisdom. How do people know that you have understanding? How do, how do they know that you have wisdom? Because wisdom shows you model it. People may not always recognize it, but it is visible. Wisdom is not merely head knowledge. Real wisdom will show in our lives, like faith. Faith is an inward quality. Wisdom oftentimes is, is invisible. It's an inward quality. But James says wisdom and faith, even though they're inner qualities, they also show up in our lives, and they show out in how we live. So first of all, he says, how do you show it? James says in a couple ways. <laughs> uh, who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. You show it by your good life. 
It simply means it's, it's wise to live a good life. It's something that's wholesome and true. It's courteous, it's careful, it's what's right and right and what is good. And then he said, do it, how do you show it? By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Humility in what you do. Uh, um, not only humility in what you do, but humility in how you do it. Wisdom shows in, in those ways. Meekness is not weakness, it's strength under control. It, it uh, works that are, are done in, in meekness. It's, it's not a passive weakness or resignation to, 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 to something. It's, it's an attitude of deliberate gentleness, doing things that are good. And it's not demanding attention or recognition. Humble in the sense that it takes into consideration how you deal with other people. So here's, here's how you show that wisdom. By deeds done in humility. It has to do with the attitude toward others. It's, it's wise to live good and to humble. Now notice verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So this idea of bitter envy and selfish ambition, those are the opposites of, of humility that comes from wisdom. So just because you think you know something doesn't mean that you have the right to, to slam it down someone's throat. He's talking about this, this um, envy, thinking, hey, I got, I got more than they, I know more than they do, and, or this selfish uh, ambition. And, and sometimes, sometimes we're um, a zealous lot that if we're not careful, we can step across the line. So for some Christians, they have the, the truth of the gospel that is right. But their attempt of, of uh, sharing that with others, instead of being this, this gentle way, this um, with wisdom, being able to talk and lead people through, it's more the approach of, you know, sit them in a the corner and feed them with a slingshot kind of thing. I mean, that's a graphic picture of, of you know, in your face, isn't it? Pounding down your throat. And, and that, he said, wisdom. So you might be right with the truth of the gospel, but if you're not careful, if you don't administer that with wisdom, and I think I've seen this, probably been guilty of this, there have been times where um, wisdom would have said we should do this a different way. <clears throat> Some people are jealous for the truth and good for that, but lack the wisdom on how to dispense that truth. There's no pride in merely knowing the truth. <laughs> if you don't know the truth, um, or, or if you know the truth but don't live it out wisely, you also may be deceiving yourself and more, in, in thinking that you're more wise than you are. So, earthly wisdom is envious. It's self-seeking. Earthly wisdom wants people to think that, you know, think that somehow I, I, I'm wise, I know all this stuff. The result of that often is that we sometimes, um, we, we end up being foolish, being foolish. Now, I want you to see verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James says that earthly wisdom is, it's, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. So the, the, the thoughts, the characteristics of, of, of the world and the flesh and the devil are, are part of that. And it's really not wisdom at all. It's wisdom claimed by some would-be Teachers, but their lives contradict their claims. Worldly standards are the standard, you know, of, of self-gain. That's the goal. It's not wisdom, it's foolishness. I love this in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 3, verse 18. Here's what it says. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world standard, so he's, he says this worldly wisdom, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows that they are worthless. Earthly wisdom, it's earthly. Having only this view in life of things on, on earth, it is unspiritual. Uh, some of your Bibles may use the word sensual. It's, it's animal-like. It's the gratification of self, selfly, selfishly motivated. Earthly wisdom is demonic. It's inspired by demonic influence. It's soulish, evil. It's not godly. That's the contrast with earthly wisdom. Now watch verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there will you find discord and every evil practice. Here's the fruit of human wisdom. Envy, selfish ambition, disorder, and evil. Earthly wisdom tends to produce that fruit. The wisdom of the world and the flesh produces fruit. It's not the kind of fruit that you want. It's not the kind of fruit that helps people. And by the way, every time you find that kind of fruit, you can know earthly wisdom is in the driver's seat. When you see people looking only for themselves, they're practicing worldly wisdom. When you see people in situations in disorder and in confusion, you can bet your bottom dollar that earthly wisdom is running the show. By the way, do you see any disorder in our world today? Too much earthly wisdom. It's the fruit of earthly wisdom. So listen, I'm surprised the situation. Why would we be surprised? It is the fruit of early, earthly wisdom. Do you see any disorder? Do you see any selfish ambition? People looking out for number one, you know, themselves. Do you see any envy in the world? <laughs> How about evil? Do you see it? Look, folks, earthly wisdom does not produce the kind of fruit in, in life that we want. Earthly wisdom may be, may be able to accomplish some things, but the fruit of it is confusion and evil and disorder and selfish ambition. And we're set up well to get the results that we're getting. It would be foolish to think that we would reap anything other than we're seeing with the lack of true wisdom on display. Look, folks. Heavenly wisdom works. It works well. And humble examples of heavenly wisdom will transform our world. Now watch this in contrast to earthly wisdom. Here comes heavenly wisdom. Look at verse 17. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. God has wisdom for us if we will seek it, if we will ask for it. So God, godly wisdom also has fruit. And this is the kind of wisdom James says we should have. What is the fruit of, you know, of, of godly wisdom? First of all, he said it's pure the absence of sinful or selfish motives. It is peace-loving. It's gentle and kind. It, it, it bears a standard of what is right, but it is still gentle and kind. It is peace-loving. It is considerate. So we need to know when to apply the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. It's, 
It's what I would describe as sweet reasonableness. I mean, there was, there was a time when, when someone came to me and said, listen, <clears throat> uh, years ago, early on in ministry, came to me and said, listen, here's, here's my sin, and, and, and I'm, I'm coming to confess it, but um, one, you're going to be disappointed in me, you're not going to like me, uh, you're probably going to kick me out of the church, and so I'm here to tell you goodbye because I'm an awful sinner. And I go, oh, what are you talking about? First of all, church, <laughs> again, we, we once were slaves to sin. That's what sinners do. They, they sin, and they're good at it. I don't know why Christians are amazed that sinners sin. That's just crazy. That's just, it just, it's absolutely true. A sinner is a, is a person who's a slave to sin, and, and that's what you do. But once you are in Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. You can say no to sin. You can say yes to God. You take off the old. You put on the new. Um, there are times that we fall and we fail. But look, the church is a place that can deal with sinners anywhere along the road because we understand God's grace. We understand forgiveness. We understand uh, a heavenly father who, even though he was tempted in every way that, that we are, he didn't sin, and he set the standard for us, and he's given us his spirit in our life. He's, he's saved us from that sin. He's given us a spirit to empower us to, to live. But, but as a church, as a family of God, we, we know how to deal with this, okay? So I looked at myself, I'm shocked. Why would you say you have to leave? Well, you, you know, um, you, you're probably going to kick me out. I know you, you know, you stand for righteousness. Well, we do, but but heavenly wisdom is, there's considerate, there's this, there's this reasonableness that says, listen, um, and, and also in that whole reign of, of, um, of, of grace to others, this whole idea of sweet reasonableness, we, we understand that the, the ability to extend to others this kind of consideration is, is oftentimes what is needed to make a situation bearable, and, and this whole idea is also included in the fact that we understand God's grace to us has been so great, and, and, and yet there's scripture that says the way we dispense grace to others is the way that God's grace is dispensed back to us. So we have to be really careful here, but wisdom is able to uphold the standards of God, and yet with sweet reasonableness, reasonableness, be considerate. And notice, it's submissive, not stubborn or obstinate. A yielding disposition. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that you don't bend. In life, you, you and I have to have shock absorbers in life. And you have to, you, have to, you know, to quote the great theologian, theologian Kenny Rogers, um, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them and when to walk away and when to run, right? And as Christians, there's this, this idea of wisdom that says, listen, I'm applying this truth and I'm not compromising that truth, but there's this consideration and there's this submission to who God is. It's skilled in knowing when to wisely yield. It's full of mercy. So, Wisdom is full of mercy, not judging others so strictly. Again, it knows this measure of mercy that we grant to others is the same measure that God will use with us. Good fruit, it produces good fruit. It's visible to others. By the way, it's not just good ideas. It's good action. I sometimes get weary of people who come and tell me about all their good intentions. 
They've got 10 things that they're going to do. Okay, show me one that you have done. It produces fruit. Not just good thoughts, it's good deeds. It's just not fine intentions. It's the final results of graciousness. It's impartial, he said. It doesn't assume the worst. It doesn't seek to find what is wrong so we can judge. It doesn't hold others away at arm's length. Without judging, it means impartial, without judging. And by the way, how do you know the intentions of another person? You know, Jesus had an advantage. He knew the, he looked at the, at the you know, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. He knew their thought. He knew what they were thinking. You don't always know what someone's thinking. And wisdom often will, will push the pause on this whole idea that somehow you think you know what their motives are. Now, indeed, Paul looked at the early church, and there were times they weren't dealing with open sin, open rebellious sin. He goes, there's nobody there that can deal with this. You know, somebody's got to make a call. Somebody's got to, he goes, I'll deal with it when I get there. It's not what he's talking about here. Indeed, there's, but there are times where you, we, we can assume, he said, wisdom would just hold that long enough before you jump to conclusions. It's impartial. To treat others with whom you may disagree equally, fair and just, not being biased, not being prejudiced, being fair, impartial. Notice he said it's sincere, not pretending. Sincere. Seek nothing other than God's glory. Not using any means to attain praise from others for self-glory. No hypocrisy. So you rule out speech that half reveals the truth and half conceals what you're trying to say. You know, forget the word salad, malarkey. Double talk, mincing words, word twisting to appease the audience. He said, wisdom is it's sincere. Instead, let your word be your word. Now, just, just to show that we can be reasonable from time to time on weather and cancellations, there was a women's breakfast, uh, prayer breakfast, that uh, we postponed. Um, and I will just tell you, most people do not understand what it takes to put on an, organ, uh, to put on an event for more than 10 people. You think you panic when you have 20 people coming to your house. If you, if you entertain 20 people, 25 people at your house for dinner, you'd be freaking out, most of you. When you do that for 250 or 500, let me just tell you, you've had to stop and think about a thing or two. So when, when we hold off to the end because um, we're trying to, you know, do you really believe the weather, people? I mean, trying to be peace-loving, considerate, and submissive, and full of mercy, and all that. <laughs> uh, I don't always believe the weather report, right? So what do we do? How, and how do you keep people safe? There's lots of stuff to consider. But what happens if the speaker that you have planned could be here on this day, but they couldn't be there on the next, but you, you want that person to show? There's a lot of things going on besides just the logistics. And by the way, you know that before people show up, it takes hours to set up and hours to tear down. So anyway, we made a shift on that. One of the other things we shifted was the elder meeting. That We meet at 7 o'clock um, 7 o'clock in the morning on uh, at least one Saturday a month, um, elders meetings. Well, we have a new group of elders coming in, but one of the things that I've been challenged with in this year is to how do I, how do I help um, all of us work together and, and, and what, 
what training can I help um, with other, our, our lead team spent this last year going through uh, a leadership training. I was hoping that beginning of our lead team meetings, we meet uh, once a week um, as a lead team in the, in the church and hoping that, you know, we take 15 to 20 minutes at the beginning of every lead team meeting to just sharpen our leadership skills, to hone in on, on, on things that we know and things, you know, that we don't know and how do we, how do we improve. And so we spent, I was hoping 15 to 20 minutes. There were days that it would take, you know, it's an hour or so past our start time and we're already, we're still talking leadership. It really challenged us. There were things we said, listen, we're doing this pretty good. And there's other things we are going, man, we, we stink at this. You know, we got to get better at this. And, and then what does that mean for those? So I'm, I'm, how, do I help, how do I help our elders? And one of the, the thing about this, one of the training things we we're going to do with was um, just the whole process of voting. And so you might be interested to know that in our elders' meetings, we, do, we use what I call a modified version of Robert's Rules of Order. So you say, well, listen, I'm, you know, I'm a part of an organization. I'm a student in high school, and I'm learning about Robert's Rules of Order. When will I ever need that again? Folks, pay attention because you need that stuff, and it helps you. So Robert's Rule of Order, we use a modified version of that. What we go for in the elders' meetings is it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us, and we, we talk about moving forward together. If, someone, if there's a disagreement, there's times where we hit pause, and then we come back to it, and either an elder or two will come back and say, you know what, I'm not sure that I agree with that, but I agree with the unity that you have, and I might be seeing this wrong, and so I agree, you go that way. It seems good to the Spirit and to us, and we go that way, and it's been amazing to me how many times after that people have come back later and said, you know, now that I see this, even after the decision was made, that was the right thing. They deferred on. It's, it's, it's unity, but we do use this, this process, and so we vote. So motions are made. Um, they're seconded, there's discussion, and then we take a vote. And part of the elder training this, that, that we didn't get to do last Saturday because we were reasonable and canceled you know, in the middle of the storm, just say that again, um, was this, that when you're an elder and you're around the table and you've been appointed as an elder and ratified by a congregation, you don't get a right. You don't, you don't have the right not to vote. You're expected to vote. Now, if your company is the one that, let's just say we're putting in um, disc golf stations all over the campus, all right, just let me plant that seed. <laughs> disc golf stations all over campus. People can walk the campus, they can pray, they can throw a dish, whatever. Anyway, and your company is the one that installs that. When we vote on that, you abstain. Okay, that's just of the moral thing to do. But if there's a tough decision, and it's a hard one, and it's gut-wrenching, and you have, to, you, have to, you have to reach into your theology bank and your experience bank and, you know, your wisdom bank. So, listen, this is a tough call. How are we going to make... You don't get to abstain. You don't get to abstain. Let your yes be yes let your no be no. It's this whole idea of being sincere, truthful, with clarity and consci you know, consciousness and consideration. It's, it's powerful. Now watch this. Here's the last part. Peacemakers who show in peace, who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. We do all of this in a peaceful way. Wisdom is shown in peace. Wisdom is a seed of peace that bears peace. Makes sense, doesn't it? What you sow is what you'll reap. 
James' concept, James Comps, James's concept of wisdom is practical. You sow what you reap. Luke reminds us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Paul reminds us to bear the fruit of holiness, which leads to everlasting life. The book of Philippians says the fruit of righteousness is it's, it's produced by Christ and his word and wisdom, and it, and it brings praise to the glory of God. So there are those verses, 13 through 18. We've read them, given some counsel or some clarity on what some of those words mean. But I think you've read the scriptures with me as well. You get it, right? You got it? Live out this word. Wisdom will be your companion. And the world will witness heavenly wisdom in you and benefit from it. And the fruit of righteousness will be your reward. Now, I suppose I could come up with a bunch of fancy points alliterate them, uh, deliberate, palaver on, preach all this out to much more detail. But I think James is pretty good of putting stuff in words that we should read, hear, understand, and put into action. So here's the challenge. You read it with me. We went through it. Do that. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 